Chapter Eleven of David Wark Griffith: A Brief Sketch of His Career by Robert Edgar Long. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recorded by Mary Schneider. Chapter Eleven: A Short Story Series. This man never should be allowed to make pictures for money. He should be endowed. The entire motion picture industry should get back of him with its pocketbook and allow him to be independent of all financial worries then and then only will the motion picture be lifted out of commercialism and become an art the speaker was one of new york's most prominent theatrical producers and the this man referred to was d w griffith when griffith heard of the statement he smiled it is a very beautiful compliment he said but i must go on making money in order to have enough to produce the things closer to my heart it is along such lines that i am working now and the one reward i have in making money is that i may have enough to spend in producing better pictures in the days to come those who are in a position to know the ramifications of the griffith finances are responsible for the statement that he would have been a richer man by at least one million dollars had he remained in america and been satisfied to make a series of short program pictures instead of going to france and personally spending hundreds of thousands of dollars of his own private fortune in securing the scenes for hearts of the world while this production in its first year showed a handsome profit it never could have repaid griffith in dollars and cents for the loss of health and strength he suffered in the very jaws of death while producing it he felt amply compensated however in the happiness it brought to the mothers and the fathers the wives and the sweethearts of those who fought the battle for freedom on the glory fields of france the letters of appreciation he received from the relatives of the boys over there are among his most treasured possessions but griffith had to have money he had to enter into a contract to make a series of short story productions in order to have a surplus fund sufficient to produce another super picture to follow the birth of a nation intolerance and hearts of the world no sooner had he arrived back in los angeles than he plunged into the work of turning out these smaller productions the great love was the immediate successor to hearts of the world this picture and by many considered one of his finest creations had a cast of players made notable by the appearance of many members of british royalty and men and women prominent socially in england a glance at a few of the names of those who posed before the griffith camera is sufficient to establish the extraordinary personnel these included queen alexandra lady diana manners princess of monaco elizabeth asquith countess of drogheda countess of mazarine hon mrs montague miss violet keppel miss betianne stuart wortley and lady Labory, all of whom appeared in behalf of war charities and by their presence on the screen demonstrated the splendid part the women of england played in the work of winning the war the great love was first shown at the strand theatre in new york on sunday august eleventh nineteen eighteen with the following griffith players in the cast lillian gish robert heron henry b walthall rosemary thebe george fawcett george siegman mansfield stanley and gloria hope owing to the tremendous amount of work in hand griffith did not come to new york for this opening but remained in los angeles and busied himself with the details of his next offering 
that he was an exceedingly busy man became evident on december twenty second nineteen eighteen just four months and twelve days from the opening of the great love when he again presented a new production at the strand theatre this time the greatest thing in life of this offering the new york morning telegraph said quote, it meant griffith in one of his happy moments we had been led to believe mr griffith had risen to heights far beyond the usual picture designated by the producer to complete a set programme and we were right in our diagnosis of the case the greatest thing in life assuredly is not in the class of the average programme attraction its scenes stand out on the screen like choice steel engravings griffith gave many convincing touches of heart interest to this story several of them so deftly executed that it seemed impossible to believe they had been planned and rehearsed beforehand one of these a scene between a negro and a white man in a shell hole on the battlefields was so tremendously effective as to cause audible weeping throughout the theatre there were many diverse opinions as to just what griffith considered the greatest thing in life and these brought forth a wealth of discussion but the particular thing the producer undoubtedly meant was unselfishness the scene wherein a white soldier turned and kissed the cheek of his dying negro companion visualized the transformation of a haughty snob into a human being whose realization of the brotherhood of man found its expression in this act of love and tenderness down in the mud and reek of the trenches he learned that there is a greater aristocracy than that of selfish wealth an aristocracy of love for one's fellow-man of whatever creed or color an aristocracy of unselfishness among the players who helped to make the greatest thing in life an entertainment of unusual power were lillian gish robert herron adolph listina elmo lincoln edward peel kate bruce little peaches jackson and david butler griffith turned to just simple folk for the characters in his next story a romance of happy valley he selected for his locale a small country town in kentucky and here he weaved a tale of love between an ambitious country boy and a neighbor's daughter one unforgettable scene reproduced an old-time revival meeting with such fidelity and sympathetic treatment one almost could hear the fervent cries of glory to god praise the lord amen alleluia as the prominent country boy came forward and had his sins forgiven the writer happened to be at the griffith studio in los angeles on the day this scene was rehearsed and in common with everyone else present was forced to tears by the compelling and impassioned appeal of griffith who standing at an improvised pulpit faced his audience an audience by the way composed of extra people who are not especially noted for their susceptibility where emotions are concerned and in a remarkably tender soft voice pleaded with them to come to the altar and give their hearts to god griffith's power over his hearers was uncanny in its hypnotic influence he was irresistible it was as if a light had broken into the darkened room and flashed its searching rays on the one besetting sin in the heart of each of those present that man said one of a party of guests had he gone into the ministry instead of the picture business would have become another dwight moody as a matter of fact griffith was reviving an episode in his own life 
he was born and raised in the methodist faith and every one born and raised in the methodist faith must necessarily have gone through a camp-meeting scene not once but many times when i decided to become an actor he explains my name was crossed off the church list back there in my kentucky home but the methodists have changed their mind about their renegade son for i have had the pleasure of being invited to make motion pictures of the methodist conventions and i have changed my mind about the methodists too at a certain point in my career i looked upon methodists as narrow-minded and provincial now it is with a feeling of admiration and pride that i go among them all prejudice aside and find that our work can be combined for the good of all new york and every other principal city and not a few small towns adopted a romance of happy valley as their own lost child and the plain little story of plain little people found a welcome in which was revived memories of days long past and gone new york first saw this griffith play at the strand theatre on january twenty fourth nineteen nineteen and it proved one of the most favored of the season's attractions it has been said of griffith that never in his entire career has he produced poor work he himself might smile a little at this for in looking back over his earlier days he is not so sure that he did not make several very serious mistakes what man has not he asks i used to think several of the old biograph pictures were rather good but everything has changed since then the acting the methods of photography the scenic effects everything it would seem that in the rush to get out his program pictures griffith might have been tempted to slight a little here to trim them down a little there to cheat on the intricate detail of this or that scene or to leave the minor portions to a subordinate but such did not prove to be the case his series of short story photoplays were in every particular up to the high standard of perfection maintained in his big special productions in reviewing his new offerings the girl who stayed at home which opened at the strand theatre on march twenty third nineteen nineteen the new york times devoted nearly an entire column to the fact that griffith had not slowed down in his attention to detail it is a pleasure to record wrote the critic that his latest work the girl who stayed at home satisfies every expectation judged by the griffith standard it is good in some ways it even adds to the producer's long list of achievements for one thing griffith does in it what he usually requires a longer photoplay for he weaves several stories together in the same plot and preserves unity at the same time using one story to heighten the suspense of the other finally he brings all his narrative threads together at an even end he never has done this so well before in a photoplay designed for routine exhibition this film has all the scope and wealth of treatment that might be put into a superfilm although a regular release no pictures seem to have the perspective of griffiths some of them are practically stereoscopic his development of the close-up makes the action more eloquent by keeping it in its environment it preserves the continuity of the story and it adds smoothness and beauty to the picture as a whole End quote. it was in the girl who stayed at home that miss clarine seymour made her first appearance as a griffith player as the cutie beautiful of the story she won instant favor and took her rightful place among the griffith favorites another youthful girl of delightful charm was miss carol dempster 
This also was Miss Dempster's first important work for Griffith, although in a romance of Happy Valley she had a very small part, her very first before a camera. Other players included Richard Barthelmus, Robert Heron, Adolph Listina, George Fawcett, Kate Bruce, David Butler, and Edward Peel. Griffith had become so impressed by the reception accorded a romance of Happy Valley that he decided to give the public another simple little love story and acted in an obscure but estimable village, in this instance a middle western town. This story Griffith called True Heart Susie, as homely a narrative as a God bless our home motto on a parlor wall or a kerosene lamp in the kitchen. True Heart Susie entered New York at a time when tender little love stories were as scarce as red-headed Chinamen. By virtue of its very simplicity and beauty, it shone forth like a lily in a mud puddle. The critics took it to their hearts and raved over it, as they say on Broadway. Mr. Tom Oliphant of the New York Evening Mail advanced the opinion that True Heart Susie was as enduring as George Eliot's Middlemarch or Dickens's A Christmas Carol. It is the kind of story, he wrote, that makes you laugh and cry without glancing shamefacedly over your shoulder to see whether your next seat neighbor is doing likewise. Griffith's entire freedom from all straining for effects was perhaps the outstanding feature of True Heart Susie. True to a Shakespearean ideal, he held the mirror up to nature that all might see the reflection of that which has happened in every life, not once but many times, is still happening, and always will happen, to those whose hearts are light beneath the white moon or romance. Even his unpretentious little story, a story of a faithful little Susie who waited patiently at home for the boy of her heart, was compared to Griffith's far more prodigious works. It brings meaningful humanity to the screen, was the tribute of the New York Times, more nearly pure, less mixed with artificiality than ever has been in motion picture, except in other works by Mr. Griffith, with which it holds its own. Lillian Gish and Robert Heron play the rural lovers like a couple from an old daguerreotype brought to life on the screen, was the statement of Allison Smith in the New York Evening Globe. As when Hearts of the World was appearing at two New York theaters at one time, so with True Heart Susie, Griffith again found himself in a similar position. His Susie opened at the Strand Theater on the first day of June, 1919, at which time the Griffith repertory season was in its fourth week at George M. Cohen's Theater, just four blocks away. The Griffith repertory season, but that is a separate story. End of chapter 11